Welcome to the podcast edition of Coaching Through Chaos, bringing you what you need to succeed. Now, here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Hello to all you Chaos Crusaders out there. I hope you're having a fabulous day. I am your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in San Diego, California. Here at the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, I bring you interviews with guests that will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Today's topic is how to stay zen while online dating. You know, online dating has been around for the better part of the past two decades. And that sounds like so long ago, uh, but it did feel like as soon as the average person started getting into surfing the web, we found ourselves in chat rooms, which very often became our own personal online dating sites. And yes, I am including myself in that group back in the late 90s. But today, of course, it's so much more formalized, and it seems that there is an almost endless number of ways that you can meet a person online. We all know about Match and eHarmony, and then there's all the apps, you know, Tinder and Bumble seem to be about the most popular ones, but there are new apps and new dating sites and new matchmaker sites being created all the time, it seems like, and this just means that there are so many more ways to possibly meet someone that you otherwise wouldn't meet that may turn out to be one of the loves of your life. Online dating is a multi-billion dollar industry. In researching this episode, I found so many fun facts about online dating. I'm going to put links to these fact sheets in the blog post for today's episode, Um, but I do want to highlight a couple of numbers that I found pretty significant. According to statisticbrain.com, which is a site that compiles statistics from other sources, out of the 45 million people in America that are single, over 49 million of them have subscribed to some sort of online dating site, and the average amount of money spent by an online dating customer is $243 a year. That's a lot of money, but some would say it's well spent if you end up with someone you love. All of the choices and options can be overwhelming, and that's where my guest today comes in. Dee Wagner, along with her co-authors John Cargill and Kathy Jernigan, wrote a fun and helpful handbook for managing your emotions while engaging in online dating. The book is Naked Online, A Dozen Ways to Grow from Online Dating, and there's a particular emphasis on staying zen during this time. If you are one of the millions and millions of singles who meet potential mates online, then I'm going to bet that you relate to the emotional dynamics that Dee and I discuss. I know I did. Let's get right into the interview now. You're listening to Coaching Through Chaos, your host, Dr. Colleen Muller, bringing you what you need to succeed. Thank you for being with me on the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. I'm so curious about this book. So many people are into online dating these days, and it seems like the norm. So can you tell me how and why you and your co-authors got together to write this book? 
Absolutely. So I started the process four years ago when I started online dating. When I started online dating, I was amazed at how stressful the whole process was. Mm-hmm. And I'm a dance therapist. So as a dance therapist, one of my first thoughts was, I need exercises. I need things I can do to help calm me down. One of the first exercises I created, which is in the book, has to do with a sensitivity scale. Like I, I laid it down, you know, from feeling really disillusioned, can't get out of bed, feeling, you know, just feet in cement, all the way through to like popping a blood vessel, like ants in my pants, like this is just too stressful. And then what I would do is anytime I did something online related to the online dating, I would just mark where I was. Because as a dance therapist, I know that when you watch the body, it changes the body. So anyway, the exercises started the process of the book going, and then I met John, and I stopped writing the book because it wasn't that long into the process, and I thought, you know, okay, I'm done. John, your co-author, was someone that you met dating. Yes. And John is no longer just a co-author, correct? That's right. John and I are a couple. We are partners as well as co-authors. And um, the next thing that happened with the book was that Kathy, who is a friend of mine and a person who I work with, about a year later, she said, what happened to that book you were writing? And she'd been doing a lot of online dating and talking to me about it. And she said, you should keep writing that book. And I said to her, well, write it with me. And so together we started down that path and then we thought, well, let's bring John in because first of all, he's a guy and it adds a man's perspective. And he had done a lot of kind of on again, off again, online dating before he and I met. And then also I wanted him to do these drawings that are a part of the book that are very important part of the book. As a therapist, I knew that what was going on with me, I knew all these kid feelings were getting stirred up and that drawing takes us into that primitive place. So he drew the drawings, he had some guy perspective, and that's how the book began. Great. And you talk about the book as being more of a field guide and a workbook than a text that someone should read straight through. Now, you've already talked a little bit about the fact that there's lots of fun exercises in there. Can you talk about how you envision your reader using the book? It is important that the book be, for it to be its most beneficial, it's important that it be really used, that it eventually get dog-eared, that it get ketchups built on it. It's made to be very tactile because when we handle things, when we hold things in our hands, it's calming, it's comforting. I also teach a class for two-year-olds and their mothers. And I know some of them, they have to hold something in their hand if they're not holding the streamers or the sidewalk chalk or, you know, their little toy they brought with them. Then it's hard for them to cross the floor. So the book is made, you, you open it up and you just look at what chapter first interests you, go to that chapter. Each chapter might say, now you want to go, might want to go over to this one or that one, which forces a lot of handling. Mm -hmm. When I'm using the book with clients, sometimes I'll just say, What's it like to hold it? What's it like to look at it? And then, of course, there's the exercises that bring focus specifically to the body, like breath work, and the ones that encourage the drawing, and that that are charts and stuff where you mark on the book and write about different things that get stirred up for you. So very, very interactive. Yeah. And what kind of answers do you get from your clients when you talk to them about the book? What is it like for them 
to utilize the book? I'm getting very positive feedback. It's really helpful to people to take the focus off of finding a partner and to be aware that the whole online dating process can be like a laboratory for practicing better relationship skills. And I tell other therapists when they use the book that the book gives us the opportunity to break the whole online dating process into more and more nuanced, manageable pieces. I had a client that, you know, oh, I don't want to do that online dating stuff, but I really would like to find someone. And, you know, all the people that seem to be interested in me are, are people I just can't be with. And in Chapter 2, where we talk about that looking at other people's profiles and using it to help ourselves learn about ourselves, about what are our deepest interests, what are our fantasies, what are our longings. She began looking at other people's profiles in that way and felt a whole lot less threatened. So, so rather than feeling like, oh, I only want the people on the motorcycles, she was like, well, you know, I could get a motorcycle. You know, I could follow my own interests. And then whatever guy shows up, can be just who he is. He doesn't have to fulfill something for me or threaten something in me. Yes. And you're talking about these profiles. And I think they're the most nerve wracking part of online dating that people start to go through. When they start the process, you can't just jump on, you have to make a profile. And people, you know, I do a lot of relationship coaching, a lot of relationship therapy with people. And there's so many stories of how the profile just stifles them. You talk about falling in love with yourself while creating the profile. Can you talk about what you actually mean by that? I think I was starting to pick up on it a second ago. Can you elaborate on what you were saying and talk about what it means to fall in love with yourself while you're creating your profile? Yes. It's such a fun opportunity to play around. And as you change the photos and put little pieces of information, I was working with a client yesterday and she was so stressed out and so tight about, you know, I really think that I, I have a good looking profile. I show it to my friends and they say, yes, the pictures are good. And she was focused more on getting the profile to a- accomplish the results she was looking for so she could hurry up and get off, which was finding someone. It was all so tight. And our online dating, our dating in general is better when it's playful when it's more fun. So I was encouraging her to just relax a little, you know, not try to use a profile like some sort of sales for herself, but more as just a way to enjoy herself, loosen up, get easier about the whole process. And, you know, I love it when my clients will put something up there and it's sort of like, well, I would date this person. (laughs) And so they begin to just enjoy themselves. Right. Well, certainly you'd want to have a reflection of wanting to date the person that you've just written about on as yourself, you know, or yes. you'd want your friends to date that person, right? Yes. Yes. She's fabulous. He's amazing. Right. Yeah. And I know that somebody might think that that's going to encourage narcissism, but it, it doesn't. It's not about that at all. It's not about the inability to see other people. That gets addressed in a different chapter where we talk about taking and giving space. It's simply about taking up enough space. It's, I've also started sort of saying, you know, that movie Dirty Dancing had it right when they talked about my dance space, your dance space. If we don't each take up our own space, then it doesn't make as healthy a dance. That's an interesting perspective on it, right? Everybody has their own space. 
and certainly in contrast to worrying about narcissism coming out, you know, the whole book is called A Dozen Ways to Grow from Internet Dating with a stress on the Zen part of it. So you do give us 12 ways to grow, but you also really talk about the Zen aspects of a person's life. So what do you mean by that? And how can a person get and stay Zen when involved in online dating? Well, yes, we uh, in, we we enjoyed the whole um, capitalizing of the letter Z, so in dozen, so it would sneak the word Zen into the subtitle, because mindfulness is useful in every aspect, but particularly in romance, which is one of the hardest places to be mindful. I mean, our our romantic relationships, because we because we form the templates for all our relationships in infancy and because romantic relationships are the closest thing we get to a mother-infant relationship with eyes staring into eyes and, and, and baby talk to one another perhaps and bodies inside of bodies, romance can stir up all kind of feelings and we can get overwhelmed. And so learning to stay present learning to pay attention to our bodies and, and, and what our bodies need and use breath to calm us down and um, grounding and centering and all that kind of thing. Mindfulness in the process is very important. And then also, if we're mindful, we can begin to notice when that little kid part of us is stirred up. I mean, generally, if we're on that sensation scale, somewhere up, like really, really anxious, ants in my pants, you know, deer in the headlights, that's a good sign the little kid part of us is getting pretty afraid. What should a person do when they are feeling that? Is that something they should run away from? Is that something they should stick with? You know, when someone is feeling so anxious and it's that little kid coming out in them, what do you advise people to do? And is there a particular exercise that they can do to attend to that feeling? Absolutely. Well, and the first step is noticing that Buddhist kind of witness that allows us just to notice, whoa, my little kid is pretty stirred up here. And then it becomes our job to take care of that little kid. I mean, I think it's often common, and I know as a relationship coach, that you've heard people say, he made me feel, um, that he doesn't make me feel, she made me feel. And what I'll gently say to people, because this is hard stuff. Again, we've been working on it since we were teeny. So it's hard stuff, but it's our responsibility to take care of our feelings. And then we, we can address things with our partners, but we want to be able to manage our own feelings. So first of all is noticing. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, there are different, you know, paying attention to the body, paying attention to breath. So you can use the scale that's the sens- sensation scale to come to notice. And then there's this giving and take, my space, your space. So we can balance out You know, am I taking care of my needs enough? Am I giving you space to take care of your needs enough? That helps us kind of get into our grown-up space. Mm -hmm. We also have places to just, within the book, let the little kid rage. There's a chapter that's all about the awful, terrible, disappointing, you know, like that children's book, The Awful, Terrible Day. Yes. That where you can draw, I mean... The, the drawing, which I think of as art therapy with your hand, where you're just in that little kid space, what color do you want to just grab? When you put that color on the paper, what kind of shapes and jabs and do you want to make? And after your little kid has raged, and several places in the book we gently say, and then you can say to that little kid, you should not be the one dating. So 
sometimes you get to the conclusion that maybe now is not the time for this. Yes, yes, yes. It, it kind of, it, the book is based on a lot of great couples counseling theories and, and, and techniques and such. I, I kind of think it's fun. It's like this is an opportunity to learn couples counseling before you get into a bad coupling and have to go get therapy. Right. It's a nice introduction to how to develop into a healthy relationship. Yeah. When you take the focus off of finding a partner and move it into how do I become a better partner Mm -hmm. so the person I find will have a healthy relationship. I like the way Harville Hendricks divides up venting and behavior change requests. So when we're in that venting, little kid ranting, raving, no, that is not the time to try and negotiate you know, what we do with the top of the toothpaste. Yeah. So it teaches you, again, this mindfulness and noticing yourself. It just kind of raises your awareness. And I love that you're framing this as it makes you become a better partner so that you can be one. Yes. And so when one walks in to your life, you are there and ready and healthy. It's not that you are doing things like we normally do and dance into what we think we need to be for our partner which is what I think I find so much with people who are struggling with the online dating process that they believe that if, or just in dating in general, I, I see a lot of people who want to become what they think the other person needs. Yes. They almost act like a chameleon from one person to the next and they mold themselves. So those people in particular, be really good for them to raise their own self-awareness, figure out who they are, who they want to be, what kind of relationship they want to have. So this book could be really helpful for someone who is struggling with that when they have the idea of, well, I thought I did everything that he or she wanted me to, or I thought I went along with everything. How come they still didn't want me? That person could really benefit from some exercises that could pull out their own self-awareness. Yeah, realizing that they're not taking up enough space. They're not risking being seen. They're not falling in love with themselves in their profiles. I think the book is a great tool for coaches and therapists to use with clients because they can let the client pick a chapter that interests them, read the chapter, do the exercises, bring that material into the sessions and process it, pull it apart, work with it. Yeah. And as you work with it, you're learning to take up more and more personal space and and to like who you are so that you wouldn't want to bend yourself so much. You know, those are old patterns that maybe in my family of origin, I couldn't be fully me. I would, you know, scoop me into a tiny corner so that you could take up all the space. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. Using the exercises to become more fully who we are. Great. And can you talk about, you mentioned fantasy a few minutes ago. Can you talk about the fantasy component of making dating connections online? One thing about the whole online dating process with, you know, putting, creating your profile and the whole reading other people's profiles is we can get into fantasizing that it's possible to, to order up the perfect person. And that's not going to ultimately serve us or serve them. And it's not true. You know, it's just going to lead to disappointment. I mean, really, all online dating is, is an opportunity to meet people you wouldn't have been able to meet otherwise. That's right. And you can rule out a few deal breakers, like I don't want to leave the city I'm living in, so I'm not looking for someone who's also anchored somewhere else. You know, maybe I don't want somebody who smokes, you know, stuff like that. So there's a few 
things you can kind of filter out. But other than that, it's going to take meeting someone in person, you know, and having some time together. It really takes time to see if this person is someone that's going to be a good fit or not. I mean, one of the things we encourage in the book, again, towards that taking care of the kid part of ourselves is if someone, you know, disappears, if someone behaves in a way that like, oh, this is, you know, not okay, the adult part of us is able to say, well, good information. You know, the little kid part of us will rant and rave, oh, I'm so disappointed, I wanted this to work out. And But the adult part can say, well, that's good information. If this person can't return my phone calls, if this person didn't respond after, you know, we, we had this nice exchange for three emails and then they disappeared. Instead of fantasizing about what could be, staying in the present moment, which goes back to the whole Zen piece of it. Yes. There's a chapter called Romance Trance, because basically it's a way to avoid the anxiety, you know, is to drift off into romantic fantasy about what could be. Because when we're in our fantasy world, we're not anxious. When we stay in the moment where we can't control other people, it can cause the anxiousness. And then if we just take care of the kid's self and the anxiousness, we become better in all our relationships. Yeah, and I think the work comes with making that adult voice stronger than the child voice and getting people to be able to have their adult talk to their child. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the book really gave me a little giggle because I did a lot Mm -hmm. of online dating in the past and I'm, I fell victim to this, the email checking addiction. Yes. You know, we can all tell what that is, you know, and we have it in many other areas of life. Sometimes it might not just be someone who's involved in the dating process. But can you tell us what a person can do if they find themselves caught in that time wasting and such anxiety provoking behavior? You know, they're just waiting. It, did he did he email me today? You know, or did she did she leave me a message? What can a person do to get out of that phase in their head? Yes, absolutely. And we we took that as an opportunity. We say we humorously but seriously included the 12 steps of email addiction. And we wanted to get in some 12-step material because it's so important and crucial and helpful when it comes to dealing with things that can be overwhelming, things we don't have the control over that we wish we did. Mm-hmm. So technology in general is this constant flow of information. It's like this giant buffet. The adult part has to say to the kid part of us, back away from the table, you're full. And so how we control, I mean, so this lack of control that we feel over people, you know, I wanted them to email, you know, I wanted them to to want to meet me for coffee or, you know, oh, I didn't want them to respond like that. All that kind of thing can keep us very anxious, very unable to push away from the table. So when we look at the serenity prayer, at the the having the serenity to accept the things we can't control, the courage to change the things we can, and then the wisdom to know the difference, that will serve us so well in this really energized process of dating using technology. Wonderful. Wonderful. You know, the serenity prayer, the 12 steps right. I love how you pulled that in. It can be really helpful for people in many aspects of life where they just feel compelled to engage in something. It's not always brain altering as in drugs or alcohol where the 12 steps originate. 
So now I want to talk about sex, because for so many people, you know, we all know sex is really important in relationships, but it's usually the least comfortable for people to talk about. And this lack of being able to talk about usually leaves people feeling unsatisfied a lot of times because they wish they could talk about it with their partner, but sometimes they just don't feel comfortable talking about it themselves. Sometimes they don't think their partner is comfortable talking about it. You know, the book does go into then, as you're dating, how to introduce talking about sex. And I have a couple of questions around sex and what we should expect from it and how to stay zen in that. So is a good sexual relationship one in which both partners have the same interest? No, not necessarily. We now know that when people are too similar, it makes the pheromones die. That, that part of us that wants to bond with someone who just is, knows us and is like us in a complete sort of way, that's that old mother-infant stuff. And it's not going to make good sex. That having someone who's different than us in, in an acceptable way, in, yes. in a way that doesn't you know like shock us and scare us, but different, someone that we have to wrestle with a bit, that's going to create sexual tension and more sexual interest. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we are mindful, when we can stay zen and present, then we begin to recognize that this person is a new person every day. I mean, when clients ask me, how can somebody have sex with the same person their whole life? I said, well, they're not the same person. If you stay present, they're changing, they're growing. You know, their, their responses are unpredictable. If you're really mindful, if you're there in the dance that happens between two separate individuals, just like when people put their hands on the Ouija board table thing, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it makes a whole movement that you hadn't predicted, that's what sex ideally is. You know, so I don't, I don't want you to be a clone of me and the Ouija board would just go where I know it's going to go. Yeah. And I don't, you don't have to be so raucously different for me if I'm mindful and present I can find that unique charge that happens between us mm-hmm. and and be aroused and enlivened by it. Right. And I love that you just pointed out that long-term relationships don't have to get stagnant in the bedroom. That this mindfulness, when you stay present, your partner is a different person. Your partner is who they are at that moment, which was different than the last time you had sex with them. And I think so many couples need to recognize that because if you go in knowing or believing that you know what to expect of sex with your partner and you've been doing it for a number of years, like you said, I didn't realize that your pheromones are actually tie off and aren't interested anymore. But I think a lot of couples have this expectation that, oh, I've been there, done that, and there's nothing exciting. And that's because they're disconnected. And that's because they're not present. Absolutely. And if I could add to that, so the little kid part of us that gets scared about relationships, that part, as we begin to get more and more connected to our partners, can feel afraid to risk being totally present, talking about what in the moment is what they're interested in or what excites me. At the beginning of the relationship, it feel, may feel more comfortable. There's less risk. Let me tell you this fantasy of mine. Let me, let me try touching you here or touching you there. Mm-hmm. But then the more we settle into connection, it's not that the relationship has become boring. is that we are, like you say, turned off. We're scared to risk. So when we comfort our little kids' selves and then say to them, again, you should not be the one in the bedroom, 
you know, let my adult self, who's brave enough, risk being more present and risk that when I am present the way I feel right this moment, it might cause a reaction in you that I can't predict. And that could be fun. Yes. Yes. And getting to that point, why do you think it's so tough for people to discuss their sexual desires with their partners? Exactly. And that's sort of what I was addressing before with, I think it's, it's vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And the more we've been in a relationship with someone and, and actual, we know that actual energetic ties happen between people. When someone loses someone they love, the brain fires just like your skin's been cut. So it's like we, you know, we, it's real we, pain. It's real pain. So it's scary to risk that I will say or do something and then you will move farther away from me or your body will tighten rather than open. But that dance, that risk is what keeps it fresh, what's what keeps it present. Again, if you can stay alive to the nuanced dance that is there. Well, wonderful. And thank you for that. And how can a person stay Zen in the early stages of a romantic relationship once sex becomes part of the plan, right? Because people will go on a few dates, everything's casual, and it feels comfortable maybe. And and then they decide to have sex. And then all of a sudden, things change for them in their mind. So how does a person stay Zen during that time period so it doesn't totally shift and sex doesn't throw off everything that they thought that they were building because it caused a lot of anxiety then? Yeah. In our, in our chapter that addresses sexuality, we talk a lot about safety. And safety is how we handle that staying Zen in the early stages. And when we say safety, we mean, yes, physical safety, like not going to private places with someone um, where something dangerous could happen, you know, stay in public until you get to know someone better, you know, and, and can trust being alone with them. And then, of course, safety in terms of sexually transmitted diseases, all that. But even more so, emotional safety. And that has to do with staying connected with your inner kid self. You know, if I risk a kind of vulnerability that sexuality opens up and this person says that was fun, but that's all I'm interested in, will I be okay? You know, will the kid part of me uh, be all right? You know, will I, will I feel too, um, too revealed, too embarrassed, too, you know, um, will I tie my heart immediately? Um, to someone who I'm sexual with. And so as I learn more about myself, and, and, you know, again, this is all about a process. Like I might do something and realize, well, that was not a good choice. And then I can begin to correct it the next time around. So safety, I would say, is, is one, you know, paying attention to safety for taking care of that little kid part of us so that the adult can be the one in the bedroom. Right. And as you just said, noticing that even if you go a little bit too far at one step, you can always kind of talk to yourself and get get yourself back on track where you want to be. Yes. And and calm it down. Yeah. So now the other aspect of online dating is that it is known to be lonely. I know a lot of people have experiences where if you're somewhat attractive or have a relatively well-written profile, 
you could have dinner out five nights a week if you really want to with different people, you know, and they all might be really nice times because two people can sit across a table and have a nice conversation when they don't know each other because there's curiosity there. And then even if you're doing that, you're very active, you know, we'd say that was very active in the online dating. There's that residual loneliness because you're doing a lot of first dates and you might get a couple of second or third dates or maybe somebody sticks around a little longer but there's a general feeling that at times people cycle through online dating and it becomes very lonely and you know there's a few million people out there taking part in the online dating world and there's new apps all the time so why do you think it is that it's lonely I think it feels lonely because we want, you know, we start the whole process because we want a romantic partner. And again, that little kid part of us can get hopeful. And when that doesn't go the way we want it to go, we can get pretty angry, pretty sad, pretty distraught, frightened. And of course, back to, you know, take care of that little kid part of ourselves. When, when I have clients that talk about that sort of lonely feeling, I'll say, well, again, let's keep the whole process about you, you know, about you taking care of you and you becoming the best adult person so you can be the healthiest partner in a relationship. Again, we learn our relationship templates in infancy. And if in infancy there was something about that relationship that didn't go as well as we need it to go, we can carry for the rest of our lives a feeling of being unattractive, no matter what we look like. We can carry a feeling of, I'm just overwhelmed people. I'm too much for everyone. Now, the whole online dating process is a great place to kind of get to that material and do some healing. So sometimes you will have clients that are, and sometimes when we're doing our online dating, we'll have experiences where we bump into these old, 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 deep beliefs. And it's a chance to to be gentle and comforting and loving with those parts of ourselves and try to trust the process. Try to trust that the more we heal that sadness about, you know, nobody loves me. I'm unlovable. You know, no one finds me attractive. The only people that like me are the people I don't like. You know, all that stuff, that's, we have the opportunity to heal. Yeah. And those are terrible feelings to feel. And I know so many people go through that. Like it's, it's pretty common. I don't know if I'd say it's universal, but it's pretty common that we go through those feelings um, in those states of feeling rejected or feeling like we didn't meet someone's expectations. Now, what are two helpful tips that you could give someone when they're caught in that roller coaster? So they've got that voice going on in their head that just tells them they're not good enough, nobody's really ever going to love them, they're not attractive enough, or they're not going to get the person that they really want, so they'll lower their standards and go with, well, I guess this person will be all right. What would you tell a person to do to get out of that cycle? Well, the two things that I would say... The the first thing which we talk about in the book a lot is come back to the body. Come back to what's going on in your body. That client who had said to me that the only people who, you know, who ever seem to answer my profiles or whatever is are people I'm not interested in. I'm not interested in them. And I said, Well, sit in front of a profile of somebody who's want who's interested in you that you're not interested in. They're interested in you. And notice what you notice in your body. 
And she said when she did that, she wanted to throw up. Well, that's a visceral reaction to want to throw up. What's going on with that? And so we worked with more and more tolerating the the people who were interested in her. It's the whole distancer pursuer thing. That if someone's coming forward to me, I might feel overwhelmed until I begin to realize that I'm in charge of my space, that kind of my space, your space, you know, that I'm not going to let them take up all the space and just feel like I have to, like you were saying, do what all ever you like. I can say no. And then if you stop liking me, I'll, ha- I'll say good information. So it's that gentle working with the body. And then the second thing besides paying attention to the body is that inner coaching, that inner coaching that says, I risked when that person who liked me was attracted to me, was coming forward towards me. And I said, no, hold on. I'm I'm not ready yet. And then they disappeared. And my little kid says, see, see. And then I coach my little kid to say, no, You know, that's, you know, I'm taking care of you and we only want to be with someone who can respect it, respect my boundaries and respect what I need at any given moment in terms of space for myself. Thanks. Those are very helpful tips. You know, then there's that other process of the knee jerk reactions of self-protection, you know, someone who just finds, I mean, I had a friend years ago who has since partnered up for a long time, but when she was online dating, I remember that she didn't go out with a guy a second time because his hands were too big. Like there was something (laughs) about, you know, some people can just find something about everyone to go, I don't like that. That must mean something. And they cut them off and they run away. What can a person do when they find themselves in that very much self-protection mode where they don't even give somebody a chance? So knowing that our knee-jerk reactions are there to protect us from life-threatening danger, that fight-flight urge, which is, you know, in the knees, we can begin to, again, coach ourselves to, to instead of kick with the knee jerk, to put up a hand and can say this or that might overwhelm me and I need, so gently setting boundaries mm-hmm. so I don't have to just shove everybody away, shove, 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 shove. Again, it's that when someone comes forward toward me, if I can stay in that dance, and take up the space that's my space by saying, whoa, I feel a little overwhelmed right now. That's kind of intense. Could I have a breather? Learning to say things like, well, let me give that some thought rather than feeling I have to immediately answer. Mm -hmm. So taking up space for ourselves and learning instead of jabbing, learning to put up a flat hand instead of a jab you know, to to plant my feet and stand my ground rather than kick somebody. Great advice. It's never good to kick somebody on a date. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're getting to the end of the interview. And, and you know, the book is a dozen tips. Uh, but and you give us those dozen tips. But then you throw in a little extra bonus at the end, uh, talking about using relationship itself to be here and now. Can you talk about that concept and how you hope the readers apply it to their dating life? Yes, I can. It's lanyap. 
Uh, John is from New Orleans, and Lenya means a little something extra. It's a baker's dozen. And it's also another way that we're being playful about the whole a dozen ways, mm-hmm. because it, there's not just a dozen. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a complicated and interesting and fun process. We try to keep the whole book playful so that we can get out of our fight, flight, life, death kind of reactions like the knee-jerk reaction and keep things playful. And that mindfulness that's possible in relationships has to do what we were talking about earlier with like the Ouija board, Mm -hmm. that when we stay present in a relationship or, or if we're just open to letting the relationship keep us present. So instead of like if we notice we're annoyed, it's usually because our partner has done something unexpected. And if we can say, well, that's great, because that lets me, first of all, pull to the present. I was headed down a path, and now I'm in this moment with this person right here. And I can notice my body. I can, am I taking up my space? Am I giving them their space? We can have such aliveness in relationships because they are so unpredictable. Well, and thank you for that. That's a great final tip for this interview. So Dee Wagner, I want to thank you for being with me on the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. Now, for everybody listening, to remind you, the book is Naked Online, A Dozen Ways to Grow from Internet Dating, Stay Sane, and Stay in the Game. And all three authors are Dee Wagner, John Cargill, and Kathy Jernigan. So Dee, thank you so much. And tell us before we go, where can everybody find the book? Our website is lustierlife.com because we talk about how it's not about finding a partner. It's developing lustier life skills. I love that. You can also get it. Thank you. You can also get it at Amazon and other places. You can get books like that. Okay, very good. Well, thank you so much, Dee, for being with me on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. You are a delightful host. Ah, thanks. I appreciate that. All right. And we'll talk again. Thank you so much. Bye. You're listening to Coaching Through Chaos, your host, Dr. Colleen Muller, bringing you what you need to succeed. Thanks so much for joining me, Dee. And for all of you looking for more information on the online dating phenomenon, check out today's blog post for some informative links and for information on how you can get the Naked Online book. Next up, we've got Xander Keg, who's lived a life filled with many transitions, some you'll believe and some you'll be quite amazed by. And we've also got coming up how to navigate a relationship with a narcissist and a fellow podcaster will be discussing his journey of lacking confidence to hosting his own podcast where he helps others gain theirs. And we've got episodes coming up on forgiveness, entrepreneurship, and other great chaos crushing topics. As always, I want to thank Dr. B for his audio production and BennettSullivanMusic.com for my theme music. In addition to subscribing to the podcast to support us, reviews are also welcome, and I wanted to make sure that you knew about my other audio venture. I'm now the co-host of the Shrink to Shrink podcast, where two therapists psychobabble about the movies that you love. You can catch our new episodes on the last day of each month. And you can find us on iTunes at shrink to shrink and on Twitter at shrink to shrink also. And that's a really fun project for me. 
To follow me between episodes and to keep up on all the latest information from me and the Coaching Through Chaos practice, just sign up for the mailing list at coachingthroughchaos.com. And if you want to interact with me, you can shout out to me on Twitter, I'm at Dr. Colleen Mullen, or on Facebook at Coaching Through Chaos. Okay, that's it for me today. Until we meet again, if you've got chaos in your life, I hope you're finding your way through it. Take care.